And now we're starting our 11th lesson of the fall quarter, and the title of the lesson is Jesus Lets Himself Be Taken. You know, if he didn't let himself be taken, he wouldn't be taken, because he can't be taken. But he let himself be taken, and that is Mark 14. So, Lord, we we thank you. This is the reason that you came to earth as a man, is to pay the price for sinful humanity so that we might have salvation. And uh, we are so thankful that you did. Otherwise, where would we be? We would be in big trouble. So we thank you for that, and we pray that you would help us to understand uh, this portion of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the chapter starts off, section A, Mary anoints Jesus for burial. And that's verses 1 through 11, and I can start off reading that one. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, Not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over three hundred denarii, and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money and he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Okay. So this starts off with an act of devotion by Mary. Verses 1 and 2 are talking about betrayal by the chief priests and the scribes who wanted to seize him out of the public eye and kill him, to get rid of him. And why were they doing that? They were doing that because they were controlled by Satan. That's why they were doing that. Because Jesus had said to them in John 8.44, You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So they wanted to do the desires of Satan, um, which is something that can happen if you're not walking with the Lord. Yeah, this is why they 
they were trying to kill him. You know, Jesus was like a bright light in their eyes, the chief priests and things like that. This is from John 3.19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. If, if you're doing bad things, you don't want to be exposed, right? For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. That's why we want to be walking in the Holy Spirit, because we want to be lights that way, like Jesus is. But we can expect persecution because of that, because light hurts the eyes of the sinful. <laughs> it hurts their eyes, and they want to get rid of it. So verse 3, it says, while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard. So Mark gives the impression that this is in the Passover week, this episode, but it is actually not in the Passover week. It's the week earlier. And so Mark places it out of order in time. But John chapter 12 tells us the uh, time when this occurred. This breaking of the bottle of perfume. So John 12 verse 1 says, Jesus therefore six days before the Passover, so there's your time stamp, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then, so in the Mark account, we don't get the name, but here it is Mary, Martha's sister, and took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So it actually occurred a week before. Now, nard is an ointment from the root and stems of a plant in India, and it was very expensive. And Mary broke it and poured the whole thing over Jesus' head. Very extravagant, right? Do you think that was legitimate to do? Yeah, it's like the Holy Spirit was guiding her, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's up to them, it's up to them. right? That's right. Yeah. That's that's the good capitalist in you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this is from Luke chapter seven and verse forty-four. And I have these things in here, and I can't remember why I put them there, but it'll we'll discover it together. So turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. 
That was her motivation. Yeah, the motivation is love. That's why there's this extravagant, um, because um, there was a lot of sin that was forgiven. And, you know, if all of us think about it, really, we sh should have the same response because um, the Lord has really blessed us tremendously by saving us. So then we contrast this with the response of Judas and some of the other disciples. It says, Some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii. So that was a lot of money. That's a year's worth of wages. And the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. <laughs> That's right. They were not capitalists. Uh, yeah, right. So now John tells us what Judas' motive was. Does anybody remember this? John chapter 12. Judas was the treasurer of the band. He kept the money and he stole the money. He stole the money. So he lost an opportunity to get a little cash that he could have had if this was sold and designated for the poor. He could have skimmed a little bit himself. That was the reason. He, wasn't, he didn't care about the poor. And you know what? The progressives today, we're talking about progressives and capitalists, they don't care about the poor either. They, they do it to skim. They want... They want people money to the poor so they you know there's so much graft in those programs it's ridiculous capitalism you can do what you want with your money and you can be generous if you want with it and give it so you don't force other people to do it but this is from the quarterly mary's unselfish act shines all the brighter because of its contrast with the behavior of others at that time it contrasted with the way the disciples were competing for power. See, this at this time, they were also saying, well, who's going to be the greatest? Mary had the right idea. So in verse 7, it says, Jesus says, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. And then he says, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, wish you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. So is he saying that we should not be good to the poor? No. No, he wasn't saying that. He saved himself in due time. Right. Yeah, he was saying, he was not saying not to help the poor. He was saying that now there is little time with him. The poor are all always with you. And, of course, yes, you should be good to the poor on your own volition. <laughs> Not with someone pushing you to do it. It's between you and the Holy Spirit. Then verses 10 and 11, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. It's like it pushed him over the edge. Like, like he was thinking about it, and it finally pushed him over the edge, and he said, okay, that's it. And they, the chief priests, when they heard this, were glad and promised to give him money, which was his motivator. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. 
So unsaved Judas let his greed draw him into sin. Very sad. Judas' life is very sad. Anything else about that? That's a contrast between Mary and Judas and some of the other disciples. It was more than just Judas. But right, but Judas was one of the 12 that was sent out with authority. Yeah. Yeah. No, he didn't. Which is interesting because so Jesus gave him power to do these things as an unsaved person. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. Okay, so section B, Jesus offers his body and blood. I'll try to get through this part without crying. I might fail, <laughs> but I'll try. Yeah, I'll try yourself. Go ahead. Yeah, right. Okay, anybody want to read that section? That's uh, verse 12 through 26. Chapter 14? Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so this is the institution of the Lord's Supper here. Right, so verse 12, on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to them, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? This was Nisan 14 in the Jewish calendar, when the lamb was sacrificed, and it's like, a, I think it's March, April, that in that area, when the lamb was sacrificed. And they were to eat the Passover in Jerusalem. That was one of their rules they had. It had to be eaten in Jerusalem. And so they had to find a place in Jerusalem. So when he sent two of his disciples, this is like when he found the donkey, and said to them, go into the city. You know, it's kind of cryptic. And a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. It sounds like a spy movie, you know. And whenever, wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So it's either secretive and prearranged like a spy movie, or it's just Jesus prophesying Superna supernaturally that this is what, this is what will happen. Yeah. It's one or the other. Yeah, well, that that may be true. That may be true. Remember, that was a week earlier on Palm Sunday that that happened with the donkey. And then the disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So that makes me wonder that it's more of a prophecy. Or, you know, you really don't know. Yeah, he said it's going to work this way, and it did. So this is, you know, the Passion Week is filled with short-term prophecies that come to pass, which shows that Jesus is, you know, who he says he would, who he says he is. So verse seventeen: When it was evening, he came with the twelve. So he sent a a force ahead, um, just a couple of guys. They prepared it, and then they came in at the evening. You know, it, it was secretive because they were they were hunting them down, and they knew it. So they came in kind of under the radar. And then I have something from the quarterly here. 
This is in establishing the Lord's Supper. Jesus made a transition from the Old Covenant to the New. The Old Covenant was based on the system of sacrifices and ceremonies that reminded people of their need for salvation. The New Covenant is based on the sacrifice of Christ. And remember, we're told in Hebrews that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ can take away sin. So this is a better covenant, which is the whole point of the book of Hebrews. A better sacrifice, better covenant, better sacrifice, everything's better. Verse 18, as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, this goes to something that if you're trying to fool someone who is omniscient, you're going to have a lot of trouble, <laughs> you know, to fool someone who's omniscient. It's pretty hard to fool somebody who's omniscient. And that goes to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 30. There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. It cannot be done. So Judas did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, who is God. He did not believe that, so he thought he could get away with it. If he had believed it, he knew, would have known that he cannot get away with it. Insincerely, yes. Yeah, they all, everybody was asking, is it me? And uh, this is from Acts 2, verse 22. This was not done without God knowing. God was not taken by surprise in this. Acts 2, 22, this is Peter's sermon. It says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So this was predetermined and planned. It was foreknown by God. It was in, the, in eternity past. He knew this was how it would happen, how the sins of man would be paid for. Jesus was not taken by surprise by this, and Jesus allowed it to happen because that is why he came to the earth as a man. And then he says, and this is a blood-curdling verse, if you are Judas. For the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. That is a blood-curdling statement of fact. So what happened to Judas after this? Anybody know? He tried. Yeah, he did try. Yeah, the first thing that happened was that you know, he did this, and then he saw what was happening to Jesus, and he had remorse. He did have remorse. This is Matthew 27, 3. 
Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So the first thing, he did it for money. The first thing he did was lose his money. And he felt remorse. So he gave back the money. And then what did he do? Well, the uh, the chief priests bought a potter's field using that money. So they, it was blood money, right? So then two verses later, it says, He threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary, this is Judas, and departed, and he went away, away and hanged himself. So he felt remorse. He threw back his money. He hung himself. So what happened then? Yeah, that's the next thing that happened. So that int that makes you think that Judas' body hung there for a while. Uh, because a fresh body wouldn't do this. Um, so this is in Acts one eighteen of Judas. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. So, that tells me that he, was kind of he, he, he was probably decomposed. He had probably been there for a while and was starting to decompose um, in order for that to happen, you know. Unless he fell on a sharp rock somehow that was perfectly positioned. Um, you know, a regular body would just fall. It wouldn't burst open. But, you know, you kind of, with decomposition, you bloat and you get tense and the tissue is weak, weakens. You're like a balloon. And so this is how the Lord is treating Judas. And then what happens to Judas? Well, then, and this is not specifically about Judas, but this is about the rich man who was an unbeliever. Judas was an unbeliever, and he was in Hades. His soul is in Hades. And what is it like in Hades? Luke 16, 23, In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. He should have believed. Yeah, well, Just believe, yeah, and he yeah, would have been forgiven. Would you out, yeah, I sold you out. Forgive, forgive me. He, he, that would have worked. That would have saved him. Yep. But he was appointed for doubt. Well, and that's what that Acts passage, it says God had foreknowledge of his decision. And so the Lord used that. But then finally, finally this is where Judas ends up. This is Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Now on Judas' list, we have betrayed Jesus to death. <laughs> How would you like to have that on your list of sins? <laughs> Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, you know, I think um, you are judged based on your, you know, at least partly based on your knowledge of truth. And Judas had so much knowledge of truth. I wonder if he he will be judged more severely than you know, the great de bad guys of the past. Yeah. More severely than... Yeah, worse than Hitler. Worse than Stalin. Worse than all these bad guys that we know of today. I would not want to be Judas. So Judas is a, is a cautionary tale. Now I have to get back where he was. I've been going all over everywhere. So, in verse 22, while they're eating, he took some bread. After a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. So, the Passover cedar, this is what they were celebrating, was transitioned here to the Lord's Supper to remember his sacrifice. His body and blood ratify the new covenant of blessing which brings God into residence in the believer. It is the new covenant that brings God into people. And really, it's the entire Godhead that comes to live with you. So in 1 Corinthians 6.19, we see where the Holy Spirit comes to indwell. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did, yeah. So what happens when you believe in Jesus? Well, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Holy Spirit is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. That happens at the moment of belief. In Colossians 1.27, what does it say? To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, yeah, so that's Christ in you. And then 1 John uh, speaks of the Father. 1 John 2.23 Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Okay, so you have the Father, you have the Spirit, you have Christ in you. So we are filled with God when we believe. My sister houses. You know, I mean, if you trust in Christ at a moment in time, you're locked in, you're going to heaven. And you can lose your faith, and you're still locked in and going to heaven. Are you going to be useful for him in that state? No, you're not. You know, 
And that is what most of the Bible is, is encouraging people to move on to discipleship and be useful for God and be rewarded and have a life of blessing, you know, and all that sort of thing. But salvation comes just from, you just believe the Bible. John 3.16 says, believe on Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Okay, done. <laughs> That's it, you know, and uh, and then you want to grow. Yeah, I don't like that phrase, saving belief, either. Yep. It's belief. That belief saves. <laughs> but and, the devil loves to twist. Yes, the devil and, does love to twist. And if he, and if he could just, he's happy enough. He's happy, that. right. He's lost your soul. Well, he never gets your soul at all, anyway. But he's lost, you know, you're not going to join him in the lake of fire, and he can't have your company. But... He renders you useless, which is what his goal is for believers. He wants to render their lives useless. And so that is why we want to keep exposing ourselves to Scripture and believe what Jesus says, not just believe in him for salvation. We believe what he says, that what he says is right, and we should follow that. And that is how we become disciples, and we do great damage to Satan, which is what we want. <laughs> we want to do great damage to Satan, or have the Lord use us to do great damage to Satan. So then they sing a hymn. I got through that section without breaking down. I'm very proud of myself. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So, And the hymns they sang were... Uh, they were standard. They sang one. They sang, sang Psalm one thirteen at the beginning of the Passover ceremony, and then Psalms one fourteen through one eighteen, the Hallel Psalms, at the end. So that's what they were singing. Psalm one fourteen to one eighteen, and then they went out. Okay, so section C: Jesus prophesies and prays. And that is verses 27 through 42. And uh, I'll, I'll read that one, I guess. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. They came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? 
Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Yeah, so here's another, verse 27 is another short-term prophecy. Jesus said, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. And that was Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. And it, this apparently uh, irritated Peter. Peter said, Not me. <laughs> of course, he did. And then Jesus says, Now, this is something they ignored, too. Jesus tells them, after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. You know, they didn't They didn't go. They waited around in Jerusalem until Jesus showed up and said and told them to meet him in Galilee. So they weren't listening. This is about Peter. Peter should have responded to Jesus' words by asking for the strength and resolve he needed to face the coming crisis. He just said, I'm not going to do that. So he was relying on his flesh. Nevertheless, the master teacher saw to it that Peter should learn his lesson in the only way he could. Now listen to this. This is important for us to hear. <laughs> Clay can be molded gently. Granite requires blows. Peter needed a shock to restore his dependence on Jesus. You know, Peter was strong-willed. He was a strong-willed guy, and he was not very stable. And um, so, you know, Jesus prophesies, you're going to deny me, Peter, before the rooster crows twice. You're going to deny me three times. That's a short-term prophecy. Short-term prophecy that came true. And it crushed Peter when it did come true. So in verse 29, But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. So he's tough. I am tough, man. This was a claim in the flesh. Do you ever try to do something for God in the flesh? Yeah, what happens when you try to do something for God in the flesh? Yeah, you, it doesn't work, right, usually. Can anyone describe to me what doing something to God in the flesh would be like? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think this is a kind of a difficult, I think this is a difficult thing to understand. Uh, for me, it's a difficult thing to understand. How do you know if you're in the flesh or not? Um, I think prayer needs to be involved. You have to have prayer involved. When I get ideas while I'm praying, I tend to pay more attention to those <laughs> than I do when I just think of something up on my own. If I think of something up on my own to do for God, it's probably from the flesh. Or if I re am reading the Bible and I see something in the Bible that says I should do something, and that prompts an idea, 
I think that, okay, that's probably spirit-led, and I will pursue that. You know, we want it to come from God. We want him to be leading us and not us leading God, because we can't lead God. And when we try to do things for God that he doesn't really care about or want us to do, that is going to fail. And it takes all the pressure off of you, too, you know, because we want to be led. So verse 30 is a, here, we'll finish this up here. Yeah, this was the prophecy. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter did not believe that. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. So Peter was granite. He had to be smacked. Yeah, again, that was in the flesh too. Yeah. So... Verse 32 through 34, they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. He took with him Peter and James and John, began to be very distressed and troubled, and he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. This was not easy for Jesus to do, which is interesting since he is God. He needed strength from the Father. So what sorts of things drive you to prayer? Yeah, this this is a good quote. In the garden, Jesus felt anguish. This reaction was not caused by a fear of death. Many have confronted their final hour without the agony of soul Jesus felt in Gethsemane. Instead, Jesus' grief arose from his knowledge that he would bear the guilt of all people and that temporarily he would be cut off from the Father. He bore the guilt of every person. That had, That's a heavy load. And take all the punishment for it. All Christians should be encouraged by this account of Jesus' struggle. It shows us that we don't have to face suffering stoically, pretending that it doesn't matter. It also shows us that God gives grace to help us endure suffering as we remain true to him. Okay, so I'm just going to read this last section, and then we'll sing a hymn and go out. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we probably won't sing a hymn, but we'll go out. <clears throat> okay, verse 43. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him, saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me? as you would against a robber. Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. It's probably Mark. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together, 
Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, and coming with the clouds of heaven. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Some began to spit at him, and to blindfold him, and to beat him with their fists, and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out onto the porch. The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. But again he denied it, and after a little while the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. So Peter was shown that he ain't that tough. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in your spirit and not in the flesh so that we don't have to go through stuff like Peter did. In Jesus' name, amen.